Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. You guys like old music? Yeah? Oh, good. I'm not the only one. All right. Uh, not that the music today is bad, but um, there, there's something about old tunes that I can relate with more. I don't know if I listen to old songs for the nostalgia, but it, it impacts me in a special way. Uh, more especially the 80s music. I don't know why. Uh, maybe it was because I was a teen during the 80s. But I, I recognize that, hey, 80s is, don't, don't knock 80s. But something about music brings up memories and emotions. You guys know about that? Uh, the other day I was driving and this old tune came on. And that tune used to always come on like in high school. I was like finishing up my martial arts class. And whenever I was driving home, the same tune came on. It's not that I liked that song or that band, but it was just that pattern or the schedule for the radio stations. And when that song came on, I remember the song, I remember the, the singers, but it brought back all the emotions of what I was experiencing in that season of life. You guys understand? Like the teenage confusion, the, the, the crush of, you know, whatever, rejection in, in high school. The emotions and, and the distress of that time started coming all back up, all because I heard a song. It's amazing what a music will do, the impact or the power it has as we even just listen. And I heard from someone that, you know, certain music has, especially a certain genre, is in response to those who went through some life experiences. Like country music is in response to, <laughs> to the things that makes you drink, you know. My tractor broke, you know, broke down. My wife left me, that my dog left me, whatever. And it's like the country music is in response to what happened. I heard that rap music in response to street life, the social justice, social injustice that took place, right? Um, I heard rock and roll is in response to rebellion, classical in response to beauty, and worship is in response to knowing God. Music is not merely songs that we listen to for our enjoyment, which we do, but there's an emotional response. And anyone who encountered God, worship is the only response. Anyone who knows God or has seen God or has been touched by God in some way, worship is the only response. And it's a heartfelt response. Worship is in response to who he is, what he's done, and what he's going to do, what he has promised, what he has said through the scripture, through us individually. There is the only appropriate response is worship. And the worship is the outward expression of our hearts, our inner hearts. Worship is the, just the outward actions and expressions of our inner being, of what's in us. And our spirit responds with the emotions. 
with the physical actions that demonstrate, that reveals what is in us. Last week we looked at worship as the bridge to victory and we said victory in worship. There is victory for those who worship God because when we worship God, we are coming into agreement with the heavens, with the angels, and the words and the truth of who God is. And when we worship God, it touches his heart. And when we touch his heart, he reveals his his love, his grace, his abounding blessings upon his people. And when that happens, there is abundance of blessings and victory to overcome our obstacles in our life. So, victory, so there is victory in worship. I want us to continue in that series on the victory in worship, touching on the subject of spiritual warfare. Okay, because... We should know when we worship what's happening in the spiritual realm. When we worship, there is a spiritual warfare that is taking place. And if we are in a battle, we should know who our enemy is. We should know their tactics, their strategies, why even, right? And if we're in a battle and we don't know who our enemy is, that's a weakness. And when we have a weakness, you're going to lose. So I just want to bring to insights of the, not a correction, again, I think this worship, I think, is at the very core of the resting place church, of who we are and what we believe. And, and it, it, again, I am so honored to be able to worship with you every Sunday. But there is a battle that's raging around us. Apostle Paul wrote in, uh, to the church in Ephesus about the spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, and he talks about um, the armor of God, and you guys probably have heard sermons on all of this. But I, I let me read from the Passion Translation. This is the first time I read the Passion Translation of this verse. He said this, Your hand-to-hand -hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. This is a scenario that's happening right now. It, when we talk about spiritual warfare and people, depending on the messages that you've heard, they'll say it in many different ways. Uh, in, in fact, traditional um, translations will say, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? Your battle is not against human flesh. But I love how the author of the Passion Translation says, translators said, it's the highest principalities and authorities operating in the rebellion, in the heavenly realms. Demon gods. That's the most blatant truth that I, I've seen in any translations right now. And, and it is translated thought for thought. And I want you to say that. It's not a literal translation, but it is a thought for thought. And when you understand the whole theology behind it, that is the most accurate translation I have seen yet. So, I don't know if many churches even talk about spiritual warfare anymore. But we should. And even if you know, sometimes it's good to be reminded of what is going on. When worship is happening, the opposition don't like it. Who's the opposition? Well, it's the demon gods. 
We, it's the spirits. It's the fallen angels. Let's talk about the devil. The devil, a.k.a. Lucifer, a.k.a. Uh, the accuser, prince of darkness, prince of this world. He comes by father of lies. A lot of different names, but we know it's the same one. It's the devil. The devil is the fallen angel. And from the cross-reference of other texts, from Ezekiel to uh, a few texts I'm going to read for you, he was considered one of the top angels in heaven. And some believe, and we don't know, how can you really know when we're talking about the heavenly realms? And We have few clues in the scriptures, but some take what we have and dove into it and said, he was probably the most powerful angel. Maybe even a worship leader. D depending on the clues that we get from some of these things. But he is an angel. And the word, so if he's an angel and the word, um, what am I saying? Demons are fallen angels. The word demon comes from the Greek diamond, and that word means divinity. So if you go to other cultures, like Hindus, in India, they believe in three, over 300 million gods. Buddhists will believe over 3 million gods, depending on how they decipher. They call them gods, but we know there's only one god, right? But what they say of gods are divinities, and they're demon gods. They are fallen angels. Okay? Now, the reason Lucifer fell, the devil fell, and his sin was pride and vanity. He wanted to be like God. Let me read a couple of uh, texts. I, I, I've been wrestling in my, I have all this prepared, but I don't like talking about giving attention. But sometimes we just need to know. So I want you to study on your own, okay? But I'm going to go a little bit faster than what I have prepared because the more the attention I give him, you know. Anyways, I don't want to give him attention. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, and I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And that's referring to God. That was his sin. He wanted to be like God. Uh, Ezekiel 28, 16, in the abundance of your trade, you were filled with the violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was profound because of your beauty. You, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. So this is description of the devil, how he was cast. And if you read the context, he was cast down with one-third of the angels in Revelations. So we get a lot of the details, not just from one text, but like snippets all throughout the Bible. Now, the fallen devil, fallen angel, his fall was vanity and pride. You read the description. He was beautiful. He was vain. He was covered in all kinds of jewel. And if... We get that description right that he was a worship leader because there's a description where he was with a couple of instruments. 
and he was of the highest of the angels. He could have been a worship leader of all the other angels. And he was a persuasive enough to even, you know, one-third of the angels to come with him in the rebellion. How that looks, I don't know. But obviously he had influence. His fall was that he wanted to be worshipped. If he was a worship leader, instead of honoring God, he's like, I want to be honored. Instead of giving unto God, he wanted to be given. He wanted to receive what God had. He wanted to be like the most high. And that was his fall. Pride says it's all about me. Worship says it's all about God. So whenever we come through a, a, a situations where I want to take care of myself first rather than God, you might be of the wrong spirit. Okay? Because that is the core source of the devil and his fallen nature. Whenever we get so self-centered, where we are more concerned about my comfort, my desire, my wants, versus what God wants, we have to take a check. Because that's the spirit of the devil, not of God. We just have to come back. So when God's people worship the almighty God, as we are, he doesn't like it. He tries to steal the worship from God to himself. His strategy is distractions and lies and deceit. Very simple. In one place, he sets up raven images we call idols. In some culture, it still exists. People say it's a, it's a god and they worship it. In Thailand, you see these little statues, idols of almost every house. And they worship it, bowing down to it. Now, in our country, we don't have those idols where we bow down and worship. But we do have other idols in our life that distracts us from worshiping God. It comes in material things, consumerism. We could go all day about just the subject of idolatry, but idolatry is anything that keeps us, distracts us, blinds us from seeing the glory of God. That's idolatry, idols. There are, years ago God told me, and the call to just really discipling the young generation, because I have given all these things in referring to technology and gadgets to make our life easier. And yet they have become idols where people are working to attain these consumer goods instead of making these things as tools that makes the life more efficient, uh, to have more time to yourself, to spend time with a family. It has become the idol where people are working harder, longer, you know, that they're working into the weekends that they can't get to church. That's idol. And God says, I've given all these things to make your life easier and yet it has become your God. 2 Corinthians 4 4 says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so the devil deceives the world to worshiping him or blinds the people from seeing God. And the devil has no boundary. He even tried to tempt Jesus. The son of God. And what was the temptation? If you down before me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. 
and he had it. So it's not a selling vaporware, you know. He, he, he really had the authority of the kingdoms of the earth, and he offered it to Jesus if you just bow down. He wanted what God had, worship. Why am I telling you all this? Because you must know that when we worship the one true God, one true king in Jesus Christ, it's saying that we didn't drink the Kool-Aid, right? We didn't buy into that lie. We know the one true God, and we are worshiping the one and only. We are not deceived by all the divinations and the idols and the distractions and the lies of this world. We only know the one true God, and he deserves all worship. And we also know that the Satan, the devil, attacks the shepherds. And you guys know that, right? It's like you attack the general of the people and they, they disperse. But we also know that he attacks the worship leaders and the worshipers. Because there is power in worship. And you guys need to know that. There is power when the people of God worships him. How can we know who the devil is after? Well, it's, sometimes it's obvious it's the leaders that the devil will go after. But I'm telling you, it's not just the leaders. It's the worshipers that he's after. So how can we know who's the worshiper? Just because people sing songs doesn't mean that they're worshiping. Just because they're serving in the church doesn't mean they're worshiping. Just because they're up here doesn't mean that they're worshiping. So how can we know if they're truly worshiping? Worship is the outward expressions of the inner hearts. And there's power. And there's evidence of such power when true worship happens in spirit and in truth. God knows. I'm telling you there is power. Uh, in one mission trip that I was in, um, we were serving in the most, literally one of the most remote places in northern Thailand. Rice fields all around. <laughs> um, there was a ministry that we were helping out. It was called House of Blessings. And it was sort of like a foster care. But the, the girls had um, parents. But it's a ministry. If you guys know much about Thailand, and, and there's a lot of sex trafficking and human trafficking. and all, oh, it, it's, If you come from a village... And more than likely, you're not going to get higher education than sixth grade because your parents can't afford it because there's no economy. If a madame or someone from the city comes and says, hey, I got a job for you in the city, parents say, that sounds great. And they could sort of give money to allow them to work. That's what they say, but they know they're being sold to human trafficking. Sometimes it's just like $50. But that $50 is a lot of money for some of these villagers. This ministry was formed to help save those girls in the setting. But once they're already in the setting, it's, it's hard to get them out. So it's prevented that if they're in that village and the sisters sold, more than likely that girl is going to be persuaded later on. And so it was a, the ministry allows them to get education by the pastor. And so they get the higher education. They're trained up. So they were given the life opportunity that otherwise they wouldn't have in the villages they come from. 
Over 90 girls, we spent two weeks with them. Towards the end of that stay, the pastor was like blessed and received our team and said, why don't you guys do a revival on, on this last day? Revival. None of us were trained. I mean, we're, we came from mission school. We were all students is what I'm saying. He asked us to do a revival. We're going, what, what does even a revival look like? What were, nobody knew how to preach. We just knew testimonies or things like that. And so to say us Westerners were stressed is an understatement. Okay? Um, but we pray, God, what do you want to do through this re revival? What can we do? And his words to us was, don't worry, I will show up. And I, I felt encouraged by that. I was, like, I was like, good. But then the rest of the team like, yeah, but we can't just show up and do nothing. We still have to do something. What are we? And they were still tense and that's Americans. So I'm not saying that as a bad thing. I'm just saying that as a cultural thing, okay? I, I include myself in that. Uh, so we had planned lead few songs in praise. And this is in English to girls who don't speak English. But we're going to try, sing songs and praise. Somebody's going to come do testimonies, and then we'll do communion. We had a few things laid out. Day comes, we get, and people are filling in. And our worship leader just started singing. And towards the end of the first song or beginning of the second song, it was just very new. While we're worshiping, I felt the Lord's presence come. Maybe you guys can feel him tangibly sometime. But I said to my mind, I, I said, oh, Lord, thank you. You're here. As soon as I said that, two girls behind me, two girls way in the front of the, uh, the sanctuary, dropped to the ground and just started screaming. Screaming Bloody Mary. They were demon-possessed. When the Holy Spirit came, the demonic spirits manifested themselves. We didn't know. We played. We, we tutored these girls. We played games with them. For two weeks, we did not see anything abnormal. But when we worshiped, the manifestation of the spirits came out. The, immediately, the, uh, the pastor recognized what was happening, told us to separate the girls into different dormitories. We carried this one girl, 11-year-old, 95-pound. And they had the strength of, like, I'm one of the smaller guys of the guys of the team. We couldn't hold her down. She was so strong. And to make the long story short, we did everything that we heard about to casting out demons. But we had no experience. Like, nobody was a professional exorcist, you know, priest. And we said, in Jesus' name, get out. Nothing. But the demon spirit obeyed everything else except being out. But told us the abyss that I came from, how it deceived the girl to getting in, to... Um, other things, the names, how many demons were actually in this one girl, all these details it told us. But it said, in Jesus' name, get out. And it tried to deceive us to say, oh, I'm this really powerful. And it's like, hey, if you're so powerful, why are you an 11-year-old girl? Come on, get out. Hour and a half of this, the demon would not leave. I said, what is this weakness? I mean, we, we tried everything. We tried prayer. We tried reading the scriptures. We tried wrestling with it. I, none of it was working. Finally, I said, when we began worshiping, it dropped. 
it was when we worship that it manifested itself. I said, it's weakness, it's worship. So we surrounded the girl. We just sang song in English, the song that we knew. Simple. When we did, the demon said, please stop. It tried to plug its ears. Please stop. It burns. It burns. And repeated that. It begged us to stop. I can tell you, we didn't sound that bad. Okay? But something was happening in the spiritual realm when we were worshiping the one true God. And it's in that context, the demeanor of the girl changed from the demonic, aggressive, to the girl back, where she was able to, her voice changed, everything. And the pastor was able to lead her to Christ and to receive. So that if you don't receive Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit, the demon's going to come back. And she's been tormented for years. When that happened, I just started breaking down. I didn't know if it was my imagination or God showed me into the heavenly. But I saw clouds parting, light shining through. And I felt the angels and God was like high-fiving and just celebrating. Because the one soul was secure for all eternity. I tell you all that because there is power in worship. There is victory in worship. The devil had no power, could not handle the worshipers, no matter how we sing. <laughs> and, uh, I share all that, that when God's people worship, the lost are found. The found are free, and the peace reign. When there is true worship, darkness flees, and demons have no hold. What it imprisons, what it has grasp on, when we worship, it breaks. The chains are broken. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4 in, in the Passion Translation For although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons using manipulations to achieve our aim. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. Our weapons for spiritual warfare is not guns. It's worship. Do you understand? If it's spiritual battle... It has to be spiritual weapons. It is the armor of God. It is the word, double-edged sword. But worship is a weapon. And it's not talked about enough. People don't recognize it. There is power in worship. So I need you to remember that when you are tempted, you have to know your weapons. When you are walking in darkness, you have to know your weapons. You have to know when to fight, how to fight, what to fight with. Got to know what's in your arsenal. Worship destroys strongholds. I love that there's a story of Apostle Paul on his missionary journey. And 
Silas, and they're preaching in the streets and casting out demons and things of that. And there were people, opposition, who tried to jail them. So he's in jail. What do they do in jail? They're praising God. What happens when they praise God? Yeah. You guys know the story then. Amen. <laughs> Preach it. <laughs> the earth shook. There was an earthquake at midnight. And all the doors of the prison fell open. When the prisoner, when the, the jailer saw all the doors open and the shackles open, he was ready to kill himself because he's, he thought all the prisoners had escaped. And Paul says, no. That's still there. In fact, Paul shared the gospel. The jailer who had imprisoned the Christians got saved, and they were released. So not only were the, the Christians released and had victory, but the jailer converted. There is power in worship. There is victory in worship. Another account, King Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. There was a time when his kingdom was ready to be attacked by nations from afar, multiple nations. And they had joined together to just attack the nation of Judah. He gets a word. They're coming by the sea. They're coming by the land. They're, they're all around. And it was a hopeless situation because even if he gathered every fighting person in his entire country, it would not be large enough to even defend themselves. So what did he do? He gathered the entire country to a fast and prayer. And the story goes that at the end of that, they began to praise God. And here, here's what happened in 2 Corinthians 20. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, uh, devoting them to destruction, and when they had made an end to End of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Get this. There's multiple countries, multiple armies. from All conspire to hit Judah, God's people. They pray. They praise God. And the moment they began to praise God, God does his thing. He gets their enemies to kill each other. You didn't, they didn't even have to fight. He just got the enemies to fight each other, and they were done. Now, there's a lot, I, I confess, I don't know what's happening in the spiritual realm or even texts like this. But I do know this. When God's people praise and worship, God releases his plans. It happens. There's a lot I don't understand, but when God's people praise, there is the manifestation where shackles are released. Prison doors are open. The enemies are destroyed. There is victory in worship. Amen? It can come in multiple angles here. We touch God's heart, he releases his blessing. I think there's other things that I don't know. But I'm just telling you the conclusion. Worship and there is victory. Simple. But I also recognize that there are times when we don't feel like worshiping. There are times that maybe it's your coworker or your supervisor or your enemies. 
threats of lawsuits or whatever that discourages you. And we all have had or will go through something like that. Where the circumstances are so dire that you just don't feel like worshiping. But that's when we have to worship. The moments that we need the victory is when we have to worship. And, and I recognize, don't get me wrong, I empathize that sometimes what we see because of the circumstance, it's really difficult to worship. That's when you need the corporate body to help you. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger church. Anybody who says they're a believer and follower of Jesus Christ and like I'm sick and have no church to belong at the body of Christ, something's not right. And we have to be honest about it because I see the church as the bride, as a corporate body that we need to sustain us, to help us, especially in the times when we are in that circumstance where we don't feel like worshiping. I can tell you so many stories, but there is the moments that when I look back in my life when I was going through trials and God spoke to me, God ministered to me, it was in the context of corporate worship. When I saw visions and God's word pierced my heart and gave me the plan of how I am supposed to navigate this life and what to do, it was during time of corporate worship. Not in my personal QT. Corporate worship is when God revealed the deeper things. I see corporate worship like this, our church, sort of like a gas station. Bear with me here. Listen, if you want to go anywhere, you need to drive. Especially if you have a long distance, you have a destination that you really want to get to, eventually you're going to run out of gas. So you have to refill, refuel, go to 